Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. Today. Scotland needs to be independent. We'll have the potential to be a successful independent country. And, you know, at times of transformational change across the globe, sometimes that is reflected in the democratic changes within the state. This is one which I particularly don't like because I think this is focusing on young people to try to say to them, you will have a vaccine before you can go and enjoy going to a nightclub. There's no consensus being developed on how you fund that. And so what we have is a very clumsy mechanism that will tax hard-working families. Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor and welcome to my latest Herald podcast. I'll begin in a now traditional fashion with a plug for annual subscriptions to all the magnificent Herald coverage that you can get on the various platforms. You get 20% off, a fifth off, if you if you mention this podcast, basically, by, by putting in the, the slug line Herald Pod 2021 when you subscribe. Please do. Annual subscriptions uh, are available, of course, and I would thoroughly encourage them. Quite a week, eh? Quite a week. Incredible week. A new UK-wide tax from the Prime Minister to cover health and social care in England but with a disputed assurance that Scotland will get a fair share. At Holyrood, the First Minister introduced a programme for government, loads of details on the economy, health, education, etc., but also announcing that work is now officially underway by civil servants on a new prospectus for independence. And MSPs are just about to vote in a couple of hours' time on COVID passports for nightclubs and big events. Again, hugely, hugely contentious. To join, uh, discuss all that, I'm joined by a very distinguished trio of MSPs. Welcome to Fiona Hislop from the SNP, to Miles Briggs from the Conservatives, and to Claire Baker from Labour. Welcome all. But first, David Ball uh, from the, the Herald. David, that new tax announcement has got with that first. New tax announcement from the PM has caused, to say the least, huge controversy. Just remind us of the details, if you would. Yeah, that's right. As you alluded to, the UK government um, has put forward a new health and social care tax to improve services and cap costs, at least in England. Um, despite the Tory manifestos ruling out such a rise, um, it will begin as a 1.25 percentage point um, rise in national insurance um, before becoming a separate income tax in 2023. Um, it's expected to raise 1.1 billion a year for the NHS in Scotland. But um, SNP MPs in Westminster have opposed it, labelling the tax regressive warning it could potentially harm those on lowest incomes more or harder, basically. Um, the money will, in England, at least cap how much people are paying for social uh-huh. care. Um, no one's sort of um, arguing that there needs to be more funding for social care. And separately, the Scottish Government highlighted their plan to set up a national care service as part of their programme for government on Tuesday, um, which will be a centralised system, which Nicola Sturgeon said would be a fitting legacy from, from the trauma of the pandemic adding it will be one of the biggest achievements at Holyrood, showing just the ambition and how widespread these plans are potentially going to be. David, thanks very much indeed. We'll bring you in later, of course, in the discussion. If you're a Hislop, let's go straight to you. What's wrong with £1.1 billion extra for health and social care in Scotland? Why are the SNP opposed to this proposal? Well, the issue is it's a bad tax. Even Paul Johnson, the director of the Institute of Fiscal Studies, has said why they're using a bad using a bad tax instrument to do this it's a regressive tax and it will hit the poorest uh, the, the most and also the youngest so fairness in the tax is one issue and um, the allocation of uh, funding to Scotland as our fair share is another issue and what will it will do in terms of policy when this is clearly already 
quite divergent and different approaches to the care service. So absolutely investment in health is something we support and always have done. In fact, our track record in government shows that we've done this, but the means by which they are doing this will cause many hardworking families, many young people in particular, a great deal of hardship. And if you're embarking on something as big as this, even on a, a, an English scale, um, the funding the care service, yeah. uh, a social contract is really important between those that benefit from this, those that pay for it, and a whole societal view uh, is needed. And that's why progressive taxation, if funds are needed, is is a way of doing it. But there are other ways. And I, in the Programme for Government debate yesterday, said, why are they not using a windfall tax on the COVID crony contracts that the Conservatives have allocated? Uh, that would be an, a, a way that you could get funding, which is probably, probably more equitable uh, than what they're proposing. Thanks very much, Miles Briggs. This cannot be comfortable for you as a Conservative. It breaches the Conservative manifesto, albeit not one you stood on, but one that your party stood on for the UK election. And and you have that argument there from Fiona Hislop that it, it's going to be penalising the poor, when, when it'll actually be in some some, some cases well, relatively wealthy families who will benefit by not having to sell, sell their large houses. I think the Prime Minister summed up um, the point when he said that none of us had the pandemic in our manifestos. And mm-hmm. all three of us who have been in the Parliament over the last five years will know the pressures which health and social care are under and the vital need for investment to recruit more staff, but actually just to deliver services. FMQs today, for example, we're hearing about how our ambulance service is now in crisis in Scotland. So I think the long-term sustainable funding of our health and social care services is where we need to actually get funding. And I didn't hear from Fiona any credible plan for where that money will come from. And that leads me to the creation of the National Care Service, because I think there's more questions over what that's going to look like. Um, I sit on the local government committee, and already there's concerns over what this will be. Will this be a full power grab from local government? And we're now seeing social care, we're now seeing children's services potentially coming into this. Now, all of us agree around the need to come out of this pandemic and better to actually try to make our public services work better. But we need to also be realistic about where funding is needed. And I think the Conservative Party down south and, and I welcome the fact are putting our money where our mouth is to try to do something about this huge but, but it's but it's not your money, is it? You're putting you put you say you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're putting the money of of, of hard working individuals around the whole of the UK initially to pay for what we expected to be a care service in England. But then the details emerge that actually in the first year or so, at least, and probably longer, it's going to go to, to, to for, for the, the, the backlog in the health service before it ever goes to care. So you're putting somebody else's money to pay for something that is not even what was promised. Well, everyone working in the health service, everyone working in the health service and trying to access health services at the minute will know that that money is vitally needed if we're going to deliver. We've got um, record waiting times, um, and that money will have to you know, re-establish services. I think that's one of the key things which, when I meet with my own health board here in Lothian, uh, they need that additional resource if we're going to get people through um, and get the backlog cleared. And at the minute, they're very concerned about what that looks like, but they certainly know more resources will be key to that. But of course, uh, the First Minister had already announced a billion pounds for NHS recovery in Scotland from our revenue base. And that has already been uh, announced and set out long before this uh, announcement just you know, this week as to robbing the care funding from the NH- N- N- NICONS in- into the health service. So it kind of doesn't wash. But... Brief, 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 brief answer, Miles Briggs and then Claire Baker. Well, the key question is how we're going to fund um, all this additional work. And this is an additional £1.1 billion 
Um, I hope the, the Scottish Government will commit all of that going to our NHS and the so. social care reforms we're going to see. There's no price tag attached to them. So this will be very welcome, I think, for ministers, what they're putting forward. We don't really know what they're actually suggesting. Is this National Care Service going to be clinical standards? Is it going to be workforce planning? I welcome both of those. If it's going to be a full-blown, separate, public National Care Service, then that's going to cost at least £3 billion. Um, and ministers just aren't like, outlining what they plan to deliver. And so I think we need a bit of clarity as soon as possible. On Thanks, Miles. Thanks very much. Claire Baker, you've been very patient. Good afternoon, Brian. Um, it's been an interesting discussion so far. There are points that both MSPs have made that I, I agree with. Uh, you know, the national insurance rise at UK level is a regressive tax, and it's quite clear it taxes hardworking people. It doesn't look at unearned income and wealth, and I think that's what's made it um, so unpopular. Um, I think the government, you know, they did break a manifesto pledge by bringing this forward, and I think it is problematic. Um, you know, the, the recognition that they do have, we, we all have a responsibility to tackle the social care issue. We have an ageing population. Everybody needs that kind of support. But the way in which the UK government are approaching it, I think, is unfair. Um, and I think there's not a consensus either around as big a challenge as having to meet the social care challenge. There's no consensus being developed on how you fund that. And so what we have is a very clumsy mechanism that will tax hardworking families. As Fiona said, it will tax you know, the younger people in our society, uh, while those sitting on uh, land, property, wealth less than land and in property, um, will not be having to contribute towards that. But do you but do you accept that if you tackle some of the, the care demands, you can perhaps lessen pressure upon the NHS, that the two can be interconnected in that sense? Um, I don't completely accept that, to be honest. I think the care, they, obviously they are linked, but it's the ageing population that is mm -hmm. putting the pressure on, on the care demands. And we want to make sure our ageing population have a, you know, healthy, long lives. That is what all of us want to achieve. But we need a social care system to support that. It's a huge challenge for all political parties to think, how do we uh, fund this? How do we make it equitable? How do we make it equitable across the generations? And I do have concerns uh -huh. the approach that's been taken by the UK government is the wrong approach. I understand what the problem they're trying to solve, but it's the wrong approach. And it also goes back to, you know, when we had the financial crash, the Conservative government took an approach that put the, the burden of dealing with that onto the poorest people in our society. Again, it was an inequitable approach. And now we're coming through this crisis. Um, obviously, the country is facing huge financial pressures, but uh -huh. the first place to go shouldn't be hardworking people who are already went through, you know, if you're on furlough, you've been receiving only part-time of your wages. Uh -huh. Other people have lost their jobs. It's a very uncertain economic time. It's the wrong time to introduce this tax. Fiona, thanks, Claire. I'll bring you back in a second. But Fiona, what about that point about the scope of efforts mm -hmm. in Scotland? Do we know more? Is it a genuinely national care service, you know, social provision as per the health service, or is it standards to be set for, for local authorities? Well, the government has accepted the FIDI report, and the FIDI report set out uh, a number of key principles. Certainly, uh, standards were really important, making sure in terms of that retention and status uh, and indeed pay of uh, the workforce to ensure that we can have um, yeah. a strong and resilient workforce. All those things are, are there. The consultation is ongoing, and that's why I think everybody needs to, to em embrace it, engage it. But of course, mm -hmm. Scotland is a different starting place than the rest of the UK. We've already integrated a great deal of health and social care. And, you know, we want people to live long lives, but live them well. And uh, I think there is a kind of point about thinking what matters to us. It's not all uh, care homes. We understand it's really important we support care homes, but most social care is in 
the community and how do we help people live in their own homes longer and there's some really important things that can be preventative in terms of support for the health service. I know that the hospital at home, for example, uh, that program was uh, was, was uh, um, noted and and with an indication to expand it by the health secretary only in the last few weeks. So we understand that th- that integration is important. But if we believe in the importance of social care as we go forward as a nation, then a national care service was in our manifesto. It was endorsed an election in May and people kind of expect governments to carry out their manifesto commitments. Talking about manifesto commitments, you you the the there is an acceptance among the UK parties that there are there are powers that are devolved. But I mean one of the elements of this has been that this is a tax primarily in the first instance to provide new services in England, but it is to be provided it is to be levied on a UK basis, a new tax, thereby bypassing the, the devolved tax structure of Fiona Hislop. Yeah, well, this this is part of that kind of undermining of the devolution settlement. Never mind, you know, uh, any other issues, and that's very worrying because at the initial stages of devolution, if one part of the UK was to do something that would adversely affect the other part of the the UK, then there would be a compensation within that, and that would be within the block grant adjustment as opposed to that kind of top slicing of funds then to be redistributed at the largesse of the UK government. So they're undermining their own position about trying to strengthen the union. They're actually weakening it by this measure. So not only is it unfair to all parts of the UK in terms of the youngest and the poorest paying most, it's also destabilising yet further um, the the idea that somehow there's a, a respect agenda between the Westminster government and devolution. Miles Briggs, what do you make of that? Well, I was listening to um, what Fiona was saying and also thinking about uh, the committee just this week because we had the head of COSLA at that committee talking about the lack of respect, this power grab which we're likely to see from ministers. And we've seen where things go wrong under this government, like the creation of a single police force. And I think there's growing concerns over what this will actually look like. I want to see local accountability. I want to see actually as empower communities to deliver care because the best decisions are often taken as close to people as possible not by ministers here in Holyrood and I I am worried that we've seen the widening of scope around what was originally put forward in the Feely report to include social care to include alcohol services to include children's services as well and and what's it what's the point of us having local democracy and local authorities in Scotland any longer if the power grab we've seen by ministers have left them Basically, bin collections and dog food. We need what, to actually... what about Fiona Hislop's ac- accusations of a power grab by UK ministers bypassing the, the established devolution tax structure? Well, this is the most simple way to raise the most money possible and then to distribute that. And that's exactly what uh, ministers have looked to do. Uh, Claire touched upon what was, um, you know, back in 2016 now, an attempt to build a consensus. Uh, Labour broke that um, at the general election um, when they created the dementia tax uh, policy and to try to scare people into voting uh, Labour at that election. And I think that saw that consensus completely collapse. You say it's a a simple way, but it's a simple way of bypassing Holyrood. There's a a devolved system, very, very negotiated in in huge detail over a prolonged period. And and you just just bypass it at an instant by uh, creating a new tax. Well, it's it's increasing the money Holyrood's going to have. And, you know, I never thought I'd be hearing complaints of that from ministers. And what is key, I think, is that it it provides that additional resources and it does it more than actually be raised. Scotland will receive more money than actually uh, taxpayers are paying into this. 
And Barnet Consequentials will make sure that we have that money to actually improve our health service, I hope. Claire, Claire Baker, then finally, Fiona, on, on this point. Claire Baker first. Uh, just a, a couple of things. Um, it was Labour that argued for a national care service. And I think that was back when Joanne Lomont raised concerns about the six-minute care visit. Um, you know, and we argued for a model where there were national standards and where we could see the end to a postcode lottery of care. But, you know, I think I do share the concerns that have been expressed around the consultation that's happening at the moment. It is wider than the report. Um, there are concerns from COSLA and other bodies that it's too extensive. But it's a consultation, you know, so we are prepared to engage in the consultation, to engage in this process as a policy we supported. But I do have quite strong reservations about the way in which the government are approaching this. And Miles is right to raise some of the issues we've seen before with um, a power grab from local communities to a centralised government and the way in which Police Scotland yep. was established. Thanks, Claire. Fiona Hislop. The National Health Service was uh, a major institution that was developed out of the major crisis uh, following the Second World War in terms of welfare services. The pandemic, I think, demands us to be bold as to what we can do in terms of coming out of the pandemic. But I would warn Miles, the last time that a government, a UK government unelected in Scotland imposed a centralising tax that didn't take into account um, the uh, needs and indeed the income levels of the poorest and those across Scotland. It ended very badly for the Conservatives and that was the poll tax. Miles, a brief word on that? Well, you know, we can just score political points or we can try to do something to improve the NHS and our social care system. Or we can do the cash, well, we will do both, given it's probably in our job title somewhere. But uh, what is key, I think, is the money which is needed, which we are all, including the Scottish government, you know, the Scottish government in all their independent reviews into social care, say that more money is needed. They haven't presented adult social care. They haven't presented any reason where that's going to come from in this parliament. And this is the £1.1 billion they're going to be provided. I hope this gets our NHS back up and running and then looks to the future around social care. Because Integration of health and social care by this government has failed. That's quite clear. And we need to actually look towards the future now, given all our demographic problems. And I think this hopefully presents that opportunity for, for us collectively as a parliament to, to do just that. Can I just, can I just say, do not talk about demography as a demographic, as a problem. Um, I think we have to have respect for older people. So please don't describe demography issues and an aging pro- uh, population as a problem. We want people to live long, but we want them to live well. No, I totally agree. And we know the challenges, though, which we haven't met. We haven't provided. Uh, Thanks for that. I'm I'm older than all of you, so I would would, uh, ask for a little respect from from each of you as well. David Ball, there's a big vote in Holyrood tonight, isn't there, on COVID COVID passports? Remind us what that's all about. Yeah, so this is the, the latest sort of tool that the Scottish Government are hoping to bring forward to kind of improve um, vaccination rates, although they are very high. Um, in the younger groups, there's a worry that they aren't quite picking up as quickly as they can. That is contributing to the sort of the spread of, of cases, although it's not transferring as yet too much to hospitals and deaths, although they are increasing. Um, uh-huh. But essentially, you'll need to um, prove your vaccination status in order to gain access to some very high risk um, areas, according to the government, uh, sort of nightclubs and high capacity um, venues. sporting events, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah, okay. Claire, Claire you, your party argued very vigorously against this, Sanasawa, in questions to the First Minister today, saying go down the road of testing rather than than uh, the, the, the COVID passports, but she said this, this could be the way to encourage people to take up inoculation. Do you accept there are arguments on both sides? 
Um, I do accept the arguments on both sides. And I think Anas has also made that clear that yes. you know, on balance, this is what we, we think this is the wrong decision at the wrong time. Um, I mean, I had a meeting last night with people from the music industry. Uh, they're really concerned about the, the future of their sector, which is just starting to open up. They're starting to uh, make an income again. You know, people across the creative sector are uh, starting to enjoy uh, returning to live events. And this puts a huge question mark over the viability of those events. And I do tend to think, I mean, I was at an event myself on Friday at the Corn Exchange. Everybody there had taken a lateral flow test. Everybody had their details recorded. I felt that was a safe event and it had enough uh, safeguards and security in there to make it successful. I'm not convinced. But Nicola Sturgeon pointing out, you can take a lateral Nicholas Sturgeon pointing out in the in the chamber, you can take a lateral flow test, but you know they're not perfect. You might still have the 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 virus, and you might go in there and spread it and spread it and spread it. Where, where but the vaccine passport doesn't no, change of course, that situation. But, it, but, it, but she would argue it's, it's oh, yeah. arguing it's a greater greater protection against that. Um, I suppose it's the balance between does it? I'm not convinced it provides any greater protection and actually okay. attending the event. There's a question over whether it increases uptake, and I've read reports that say you might see an initial spike in uptake, but then you risk isolating some people who are yeah. vaccine hesitant um so you know on balance we, we won't be supporting the government on this oh, issue okay. we have tried to work cooperatively across the pandemic miles briggs uh, the, the, this issue of whether whether to support the scottish government i gather your party is not supporting the scottish government on this and yet the prime minister is issuing a, a, a comparable in, introducing a comparable scheme for england uh, the conservatives will obviously back that there well we make our own mind up in the scottish parliament we're as a party, we'll decide what policies we support or don't. And we've been trying to get as much information all week from ministers and only now have had a sort of flimsy pamphlet given to us. Um, and I don't think this is right because it's been rushed. Um, the Deputy First Minister, remember, said this was the wrong way to go. Um, the UK government, I believe, had a consultation of over 52,000 people responding. We've had zero in Scotland. So mm. how businesses are actually expected to do put this in place, I don't think is clear. And, and certainly the, the documents which ministers presented are, are not acceptable. What, what will be interesting, of course, yeah. is we've now got all opposition parties um, voting against this, apart from those who are most vocal, which were the Green Party. Um, so whether or not um, the Greens are going to actually stick to their principles on this or just take the SNP whip tonight, we'll see. But this is where I think we, we need to get the government to think again on this. And I, I hope they'll listen to these concerns. Thanks, David. Remind us: the, the Greens are likely to vote. They're, they're now in a partnership with with the the, the SNP. But you know, how's how's the vote likely to go go tonight? Uh, what's your forecast? Yeah, we're expecting the Greens to vote with the SNP. Now they've obviously yeah. formed that sort of loose coalition with them. Um, Patrick Harvey last week, although they have um, opposed him in the past, he did say last week that the arguments have maybe changed a little bit on why the justification is there for that. Yeah, he said they've got some reassurances, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we'll, we'll have to see, but we expect the Greens to vote with the SNP tonight. Fiona, what do you make of all of this? Um, I kind of agree with Claire that this has to be a, an unbalanced judgment. And, you know, some are falling one side, some are falling the other. Instinctively, uh, over recent months, I've not been in favour um, of, 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 of this move, as indeed you've heard from some um, other ministers. But we're at a, spe- a particular point with the Delta variant. I, I genuinely think that it is it's not just a hard and fast decision. It's why it wasn't meant it wasn't made um earlier. I think if you look at the experience across um the EU twenty seven countries, and they're all doing it in different ways because again, remember the pattern and the experience 
of the Delta variant is at different places in different countries. But I do think in terms of stopping transmission and also limiting hospitalizations, uh, I think this is a step. And, and remember, it's 1st of October. There's, there's more time know, to, to help develop it. So it's, and it will end up being with, with the, at the same time as the, the app as well. So I think it's the right thing to do. But I'm not saying... You say it's the right thing to do, but why, why no detailed consultation? Why, you know, generally you would have a committee hearing, at least to hear the views of the, of the nightclub uh, organisation. You publish a document only this morning and expect MSPs to vote upon it this oh, afternoon. So I'm not, that I'm document not, doesn't even define what a nightclub is. Right, so I'm not a government minister, but no I indeed, do know indeed. that government minister John Sweeney had been engaging with, and in fact there's been engagement with the events uh, sector and uh, the, the music centre over a, a long period, but specifically about these issues, because part of it is to make sure that they can develop it with them. But the risk is, and this is the really fine judgment, the mm. risk is if we don't do this, does it lead, with the winter coming, with the potential for more transmission, um, is there, uh, or indeed a variant, who knows what might happen, but uh, it, the, the idea suddenly of, of, of closure again, and just as clear was saying these venues are starting to open up again, yeah. and it's an unbalanced risk as to what's from, from their point of view, never mind the health issue, but from, um, from a, a sector point of view, do they want to risk having to close, or is a vaccine passport worth a price worth paying for them to continue to stay open. So I'm not saying it's hard and fast. No, I understand. Means, okay. I understand. Miles, what, what, what about that? It's, 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 this, it's this or it's closure because the, the cases are still rising, albeit there appears to have been something of a, of, of a peak with regard to that. I suppose all the measures we've tried to take have been around human behaviour, and this is one which I particularly don't like because I think this is focusing on young people to try to say to them, you will have a vaccine before you can go and enjoy um, going to a nightclub. Um, it seems a total mess from what I've seen in terms of they don't have a definition of what an actual nightclub is. And does this then see a further um, measures brought forward for bars and restaurants for students returning to university if they're not double vaccinated? Um, well, maybe, you know, maybe it does. It's a global pandemic. It's killing thousands, millions. Well, where we are in terms of the vaccine, I think we should be proud of over 80 percent. Um, people have had at least one uh, vaccination in Scotland. But mm. we have all collectively tried to do our best in this parliament with the powers we've given to the Scottish government. This seems to be a breaking point now where the government are trying to do something um, to, to influence people's behaviour, um, which isn't directly going to necessarily uh, deliver for pandemic controls. And, and that's something I think we need to be careful about. Thanks. Claire Baker. Thanks. I do have a concern. I mean, it is the, you know, the, the pandemic has... Most people have pulled together, but there have been people who have been opposed to public health measures that have taken place. But this one, by far, is the one I've had most emails about uh, from people who are unhappy with this approach. Um, and I think we do see greater consensus around uh, testing, um, you know, all those other kind of factors. There was more public buy-in. I do have concerns that this is a bit divisive and we might lose some support. I really hope that it's not, um, but it is the issue that people have come to me. I think what we do need, though, is more the test and protect system to be working better and okay. to make sure that people who are having to isolate are properly financially supported. That's been an ongoing issue and that they are, they are carrying out isolation properly and that they're financially supported to do so. That's, you know, I know the Fiona, Scottish Health. Thanks, Claire. Many thanks. Fiona, Fiona Hislop. So um, I, I just think it should be limited and it should be temporary. Is, 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 and I think the fact that it will okay. have to come back 
um, you know, is, is, is an, a testament to that. But it's not hard. I just think there's not a clear black and white in this. I think it's far more nuanced. And I think you've heard that actually from all the contributors. So it's not a decision not being taken lightly, but recognising there are an unbalanced judgment that has to be made. And I think from the public health point of view, this time, at this point, for a temporary limited uh, scope, is the correct okay. thing to do. Okay, we'll see how that vote goes uh, this evening at, at Holyrood. And of course, you'll get that on the, the various Herald websites and platforms. David, the, we, we, the, the, we're focusing there on the COVID passports vote, but I mean, this has been the week in which Nicola Sturgeon set out the programme for government, loads of details on the bills in the next year and indeed plans for years beyond that. And of course, the announcement of uh, a further drive towards independence. Bring us up to speed if you would on that. Yeah, that's right. So um, the SNP brought forward their programme for government, which they do every year, the government does. Um, the big one that a lot of the unionist parties jumped on was the um, pledge for another independence vote, which was front and centre of the manifesto. It's quite obvious it was mm-hmm. going to be brought forward. Um, Nicholas Sturgeon announced that the sort of work will restart to put that new case forward, that updated case for independence. Yes. Uh, he hopes to have the referendum held COVID permitting by the end of 2023. Um, there's a lot of other policies in there, including a COVID recovery bill. Obviously, the plans for the National Care Service we've touched on. Um, the contentious plans to sort of reform the GRA, the gender recognition. Yes. So there's quite a lot in there for um, the next for the coming year and, and for the next five years as well. And for the period beyond that as well. Miles Briggs, the, 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 the significant one on the independence side, I mean, I was most interested in the economic stuff, but the, the significant announcement on the independence side was that a team of officials are now going to be working on basically a new white paper. We had a white paper, of course, in 2013 prior to the 2014 vote. Now we're getting a new one. I mean, you guys in the Tories and the other parties have been demanding details on various aspects of independence. You're now going to get it in terms of official civil service work. What's wrong with that? I'm not sure if we will. And the white paper, uh, which obviously saw millions of pains in civil service uh, distracted ahead of 2014, and um, you know that didn't present many answers to the questions which the SNP, I don't think, have really taken time to to rethink since they lost that referendum. And I, I actually think you know what the program for government really demonstrated was the SNP could really do with a time of out of office to start to think through. The new program they might want to put forward. You'd be willing to give them a break, would you, Miles? Well, it's, it's time they and, yeah, and maybe someone else stepped up for a somebody bit. else say um, the Tories, for example. You know, we'll we'll do it under the rest. But um, you know, there's also you know, the a minor detail of a democratic <laughs> election in May, Miles, which you lost. Tush, tush, tush. Well, that, well, of course. Uh, <laughs> If we're going to play games like that, uh, the majority, which Nicola Sturgeon, of course, said she was looking for, failed to materialise. And, and then we've got the Greens in there as well. Another, another issue. But, you know, there's a poll out today, Brian, showing that only 37% of people in Scotland actually want another referendum in any, any time in the next two years. So mm. I think even people who, you know... Also suggest the majority for that very proposal, doesn't it? Well, no, I think yeah. the key thing is... time We need to look now towards our COVID recovery and... That's something I think even Fiona uh, would probably admit should be the number one priority. I've, I've been teasing you wickedly, Miles, but do you think there's likely to be a referendum in the next few years after the next UK general election, perhaps? No, I no. don't. I no. think actually what will be interesting to see is actually Nicola Sturgeon's future because the council elections next year and also whenever the next UK general election might might be when people start to move away from the SNP. And I think we're, we're starting to sort of see that in some of the measures which people are, are putting forward. The Scottish government are putting forward, and um, I think are really going to um, 
the many of the core supporters of the SNP question uh, their credibility. But it's about COVID recovery, and that's one of the key things. Regardless of our rosettes we stand and are elected on, we should all be 100% focused on. This is people's jobs, livelihoods, health. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Fiona Hislop, uh, you, you've got a party conference this weekend, and again, a rather unusual one. Presumably, it's one of these digital online yeah. uh, 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 things. But I mean, there is some disquiet, to put it no higher than that, in your party about the the pace of progress towards a further independence referendum. Well, it depends who to speak to. And I talked to my branch Aye. members, and those is not. And uh, you know, in terms of where people are, they they are pleased that we won and won decisively in May. I don't think MD could be under any illusion that the democratic mandate that was given to the SNP standing on a platform that we would hold a, an independence referendum. Yes, when we've managed to get through the most difficult parts of the pandemic, and I'm very conscious that, that there are still remaining challenges. We've just spoken about that. But we w- want to carry out our manifesto commitment. We want to prepare for that. And you know, we, we have live in a world that's quite changed uh, since 2014. And this is about charting a way forward, yes, uh, to achieve our uh, potential as a, an independent country, but also to to deliver the type of economic recovery and the type of social recovery and the climate change approach that, that we want. And you can and you can only get that if you've got divergence with the the, the the choices, the political choices being made by the UK government that don't suit Scotland, that are not elected, and uh, governments not elected by the people mm. of Scotland, that are bypassing uh, us in terms of our powers, even under devolution, as you. You yourself pointed out, Brian, in terms of taxation, this is a choice. These are choices that have to be made, but they have to be made by the people of Scotland, and that requires the preparation and the steps to do so. So, you know, Scotland needs to be independent. Uh, we have will have the potential to be a successful independent country, and you know, at times of transformational change across the globe, sometimes though that is reflected in the democratic changes within states, and Scotland is. No different. Be under no illusion. The people of Scotland knew exactly what they were voting for in May, and we're carrying out that responsibility. But we will do so, recognising the other pressures that we have to deal with as a government, not least the COVID crisis. Talk, talking about transformational changes, Brexit certainly comes into that. Now, Brexit would create a situation where, if Scotland were to become independent and were to rejoin the EU, Scotland would have a land border with a non-EU country. How on earth would you cope with that? That would be the Ireland situation writ large, wouldn't it? Well, that, the whole point is to make sure that we have a managed uh, a managed approach to this, which is exactly why we, we should be doing the work about the prospectus that was set out, yes. which is others are criticising us for. That's exactly why we do that. And we learn the lessons absolutely of how not to do it in relation to uh, what's happening currently. But it's very important to be a trusted partner and uh, particularly with uh, the EU, and that's why Scotland's position within our relationships uh, internationally are going to be so important, because what's happening with the UK, particularly in regard to Brexit, is unilaterally reneging on international agreements, and that just undermines the credibility. Scotland did, particularly with the First Minister's leadership, is seen as a credible partner of choice, which will obviously help us in accessing, uh, again, the free market of 600 million people. Okay, Claire, Claire Becker, what, what do you make of the, the announcement that there's to be work towards a, a prospectus? Do you welcome that or do you do you abhor the idea of there being an independence referendum at any point in the near future? Well, I think Fiona is doing a bit of wishful thinking when it comes to the possibility of a border between Scotland and England, but um, when we see what's happened to Brexit and the situation in Northern Ireland then. But in terms of the programme for government, 
You know, I'm not supportive of a referendum anytime soon. We are still in the middle of a pandemic. Today we're seeing cases uh, that, are, that are some of the higher numbers we've seen uh, altogether. Uh, people are facing the end of furlough, their prospect of losing their jobs. Uh, kids mm. have been out of school. Um, our NHS is huge waiting times. There's a huge backlog of health needs that need to be addressed. Um, if the civil service are going to spend time working on an independence prospectus, you know, I was here in 2012 through to 2014, and it just means the energy of government, the energy of the parliament, everything focuses on the upcoming referendum and that divisive issue. And this is just not the time to be engaging in that again. Um, but, but the if, parliament if, needs to be working together. The government have got to be fully yeah. focused. What will happen is everything gets seen through the lens and yeah, okay. an advantage be brought in terms of independence or against independence, and the parties go along those lines. And it's I don't think it's healthy for um, for the parliament to be doing that at this point. But if, if Nicola Sturgeon's agreeing, Nicola Sturgeon's agreeing with you that now is not the time. She's talking about perhaps towards the middle of the latter half of 2023. Would would that be acceptable to you? Quite, well, well, look, I think that's quite optimistic. I think that's underestimating the impact of the... Well, how, how about 24 then? How about 25? how that tail of it is. And I'm not going to put a date on it. I've already said, you know, I went to the last experience. I know some people talk about it being a civic and joyous, and that wasn't my experience. <laughs> I found it divided families, it divided communities. Um, you know, there was a mixed experience of the last referendum, and I don't think, as we come out of the pandemic, that that should be we should be spending our time discussing when the next one's going to be and investing resources and preparing. So, so clear, you say you don't want to put a date on. You say you don't want to put a date on it. But are you accepting that there is a democratic mandate to hold that referendum? Well, there's, we're in no different a situation than we were prior to the election. Really, uh, there was you know that a referendum bill was already passed in Parliament because the SNP and Greens support that position and other parties don't. So we're not. Uh, there's no different circumstances, and the coalition doesn't change that situation do, either. To repeat, Claire, to repeat the question: Do you accept that there is a mandate for the SNP Scottish government to, to go ahead with their independence referendum uh, proposals? Well, I think the, the public are at the moment saying they don't think they want to have a referendum at the moment. They're not supportive of us engaging in that division again. Um, if there was to be a, a referendum, I think the last time we saw a settled agreement between the Scottish Parliament and the UK government. It needs to be a democratic, legitimate referendum if it's to go forward. And I don't think that that's where we are at the moment. And I wouldn't okay. want to see, I don't think the government are really proposing we have a wildcat referendum. I don't want okay. to see us ending up in the courts, whether that's the Scottish government spending time in the courts. The parliament is tied up in that debate, a constitutional argument where I think this parliament needs to be focused on COVID recovery. David, I'm right, I'm right in saying, am I, that the First Minister is, is saying this is something that, ha- that has to happen as and when COVID is is passed or subsided, you know this too will pass. Is is the is the hope and the expectation, but she is also uh, going ahead with preparations now. Is that the right way to see these things? Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. She has said it's COVID permitting is when she wants to hold this referendum, and it's, they were the S and P were re-elected on a manifesto promise that there would be a referendum in that timescale. The timescale hasn't particularly changed. It's still after the pandemic. Um, and the white paper probably does need updating um, if they are to put that case forward, not least on the, the, the role that sort of oil and gas revenue, given the climate emergency we're facing. Yes. Um, but it's a bit of an understatement to say it needs updating. <laughs> when you talk about oil and gas, we've come through Brexit, we've come through a pandemic. There's quite a lot changed since um, 2014. D- D- David, David, carry on, yeah. That, that's yeah clear, yeah. A- absolutely, yeah. I mean, it is out of date completely. And I mean... If they want to put that case forward, they, they will need to be updated. It's only and it's fair enough to do that. But the problem is when you've got government officials being taken away from other things to do that. 
But ultimately, it's going to be um, Boris Johnson's decision still whether this goes ahead um, in the same vein as it did in 2014. Uh-huh. And as Claire alluded to, it could end up in a, in a court battle where the court could put um, um, a Holyrood version of the referendum, could set it aside and say it's not lawful. Okay, Miles Briggs. Uh, Claire Baker is saying not no, not no, not no, but not. She's not saying never by the, by the sound of it. What, what are you saying? I think Scotland needs another divisive independence referendum, like a hole in the head. But I think one of the key things which we haven't really touched upon is Nicola Sturgeon needs to keep her base motivated. I don't know if Fiona has lost many of her members to the Alpha nope. Party. But certainly speaking to Edinburgh, I know a lot of... They they, they wouldn't dare, Miles. (laughs) I know, well, maybe Fiona's better at herding them to do what she needs them to. But in Edinburgh, I know a lot of older members of the SNP have gone to the Alpha Party. So I think um, Nicola Sturgeon, and obviously she's got her confidence, has a lot of pressure from Alex Salmond trying to push her into this position. Um, And, you know... I get deja vu every time we hear this because, you know... Hang on a second. Nicola Sturgeon came just one shot of an overall majority. Uh, Alex Salmon's party got 1.7% of the vote. What sort of pressure is that? Well, you see from people who have left the SNP to go to the Alpha Party, (laughs) back to that actually, um, you know, the whole independence uh, coalition of voters um, in Scotland are are screaming for an Sturgeon to have this referendum. I think, Miles, yes. Miles, I think you should get out and about a bit more. I think you <laughs> politely. Well, under your plans, I might, no, none of us will be able to, Fiona, so it's maybe something we'll have to... He's yeah, itching to go to a nightclub. Look at that, look at that. He's, he's, he's had your double vaccine, no problems of going to a nightclub, Miles. Oh, well. So have I. I'll see you. Fiona, seriously, is the First Minister under pressure on this one to hold the referendum more quickly than she is currently proposing? No, she, she wants Scotland to be independent. She knows that we have to have a referendum to do that. We need the permission of the people of Scotland. And she wants to do that at a time that allows her to make sure that we've done what we need to do to get through the the, the COVID pandemic. Um, So nothing in that has changed. And if anything, we've got more of an endorsement because of more of an explicit uh, position in the the election that we had uh, just in May. Now, remember in 2016, there was also a commitment for a referendum, but was premised on uh, the, the EU uh, exit, which nobody expected necessarily to take place. So when people were voting, particularly in the 2021 election, it was a far more explicit endorsement by the public for an independence referendum. So I, I think we're just doing what, one, we stood a platform on, and one, and secondly, what the people voted for. Um, so we are carrying that out. Go on, Miles. The last week of the election campaign, though, Fiona, Nicola Sturgeon said this wasn't about another referendum. She pivoted very much towards just her record and every leaflet, which will have gone across your constituency, had, uh, you know, the, the podium she'd spent the last year standing at saying this was about her leadership, uh, not about another referendum. And that once in a lifetime, once in a generation pledge she made to the people of Scotland in 2014, I think she should really start to, to listen to her own words then. We need to move on as a country and get recovery as our oh. key. Uh, and we need to move on and we need recovery and we need transformation. There's no going back. There's no going back to where the, the, the society or indeed the economy was previously. We know that. The issue is who do you want to guide us through that in terms of leadership in party, but also um, in terms of the First Minister, but also in terms of the type of constitutional state that Scotland is best placed in to, re- to, to do exactly that, to recover and transform our society. Claire Baker. I suppose one of the things I was thinking as well, when Miles earlier talked about the UK government, and so did Fiona, you know, if you look at 
who is also fueling the current constitutional debate. Boris Johnson and the Tories don't help the situation. Uh, the way in which, and I do agree, the way in which they engage with the Scottish Parliament um, doesn't really build relationships in the way that would make people see the value of the union and make us stronger as a country. So, you know, I would like to see a Labour in government at UK level. I think we have re-established the Scottish Parliament. We understand devolution. We do need a system across the UK that works better for everybody and that, um, you know, that works better for Scotland. But the current Conservative government, I think, are, are, are undermining that. Forgive me, Fiona, final word. Give, give me a date for this referendum, 23? Well, I think you know, if that, that looks a, a good uh, suggestion in terms of exactly. the timing. Uh, but I think, we'll, again, in the words, we went through pandemic, but I think that would make sense for lots of different reasons. Thanks all for taking part. Thanks to Claire, Miles, Fiona and to David. Thanks to all of you for for listening through the various platforms, none of which I understand, but uh, lots of clever people do. From me, Brian Taylor, to Luther. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene.